Michelle Malfin to Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Sim. How you going? You know what? I am going so well. I've just had such an amazing day. I'm on such a high. The oxytocin in my body is free-flowing. It is overflowing. Like a little, little bit of backstory. I was just hanging out with one of my friends last night who is a student doctor. And we were kind of chatting about like working and just like work-life balance and stuff. And we were on the topic of how every job kind of has like its bad days or its bad moments. And I kind of was telling her about how I once heard this podcast about a guy who was a waiter who was like, I just wanted to be the best waiter I could be and just gave everything to his job and just sort of kept working up the ranks. And in the end, he retired at 40 because it was a fire podcast. But basically, I was sort of saying to my friend, like, it really isn't like the job we do. It's like our attitude towards it. And then I was like, Sim, you need to listen to your own advice because you've definitely been having days where you're kind of like a little bit dreary with work and so today I went in and I was like instead of seeing it as like I have to do this I was like I get to do this so for those that don't know Sonia is the one in finance I work in healthcare and so I was like rather than being like oh like I have to see another person I was like I get to help another person and that was all it took for me to have an absolutely incredible day and I just came home buzzing and it was nice. It's incredible. I think your attitude shapes a lot of things in life. I'm really starting to see the importance of having a good attitude or at least pushing myself to have a good attitude because obviously there's going to be days where you just feel real stink and you're like nothing makes you happy and every little thing pisses you off but like why not also have days where just the smallest things bring you so much joy right to balance it out. That's my little spiel. Also, a little update on the retinol. It's going well. You don't know if it's going well. You'll know it's if it's going well at 50. Yeah, and I'll hold you to it. I'd just like to reiterate what we said two podcasts ago. Please analyze your skin first before you go purchase a retinol. It's powerful stuff. I have sensitive skin. And what I do is I just put like a pea-sized amount, mix it with a very thick moisturizer. And I'm good. And it hasn't done anything to me that's great consult your dermatologist friends invest in your future savings and future skin good debt bad debt why do we hate debt should we be liking debt i think obviously like no one here has not heard of the concept of debt like i think that's like very clear but i think psychologically we just don't like anything to do with negativity and debt has a lot of negativity around it Studies have shown what most of us kind of already know, that debt is so much more than just money, and it can often lead to a lot of emotional and psychological issues. I mean, in New Zealand alone, we have the highest levels of household debt in the OECD, so I think it's a topic worth diving into today. Did you know that? I actually didn't know that. Can you explain what OECD is? So the OECD is basically just a group of countries like Australia, like New Zealand, like the UK, the US, Canada, da-da-da. And I think there's about 37 of them. Without being technical, they kind of just come across as a group of quite developed countries, quote-unquote, like if I really had to simplify it. So yeah, we're 
pretty high up, quite a high cost of living, but we, and quite high like home prices, but we don't have a very high like average median income to support this. And so people, I would say on average, are not better off by being here in terms of income versus spending. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you know, no debt is good debt. I don't know who Dave Ramsey is. He's essentially just like the Oprah of no he's like gordon the gordon ramsay of finances like the same way that gordon ramsay maybe it's a ramsay thing the same way that gordon ramsay is out here just like yelling at people for the food they make dave is out here just being like you are in debt because you are a but i'm gonna help you because i care and i'm gonna get you out of it some actionable steps you dummy and people are like my god like thank you like you've Save my life. He's like, you're welcome. <laughs> he's so, I want to say ruthless, but he's just no nonsense. Like he gives it to you black and white. This is what you're doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. This is what you need to start doing. And then it's up to them to take that advice and implement those actions. Sometimes you just need that like kick up the butt and a grown white man to call you a dummy. Like sometimes that's all you need and you're good to go. What I mean by that is, is that there are, I guess you can see as two different types of debt, like good debt and bad debt. And that's something that we do want to expand on. Because did you even know that was like good debt and bad debt originally? For me, I really just thought there was one kind. I remember when I was younger, I was having a conversation at uni with some friends and I was like, oh, like once I graduate, I just want to pay off all my student loan because I don't want this like huge loan over my head. And I had a friend just be like, they turned over. It, like turned their head looked at me very aggressively they were like that's so stupid and I almost was like bro like calm down and I didn't understand I was like you know like psychologically I would like to not have a weight over my shoulders or over my head like I saw it like a big dark cloud that I needed to get rid of so yeah I definitely used to think that way about all forms of owing money like even God. <laughs> All my friends that hear this, they're just going to all like at the same time groan out of anger because this is so me. But even if I go out to like lunch with a friend or someone shouts me a coffee or shouts me a meal, I feel a sense of like, ah, like I owe this person. This is, I want to pay them back quickly and I want to do it now. And like, no, I don't want to just shout you a meal another time. Let me go to halves. But like the thing that I have obviously learned over time is that's not the case and there are lots of really wonderful meaningful ways to have debt and having money over your head so to speak is not inherently a bad thing what's your experience been like I'm quite similar to you I think just the idea of existing in negatives really frightened me and in New Zealand for those of you who don't know our student loans are interest-free And as soon as you start working, they actually automatically deduct it from your salary. So in the pay that you do receive, your student loan's already been Oh, this? Oh, you don't need this. Let me let me just let me just take that from you. Trust me, everything regarding student loans is automated. The thing that you need to do is if you can make manual payments, which is what I was doing. I was going ham with my manual payments. Or if you obviously if you move overseas and you still haven't paid off your student loan, I think it's something like 
if you live over there for six months, that's when it starts getting interest. I have a question for you. Why do you think we fear debt so much? That is such a loaded question. (laughs) I think it's not wanting something that's over your head. I think people are taught to fear debt, like to not get into it. Because usually when you think about debt, it's not like it doesn't bring you a sense of peace. You don't feel financially safe when you exist in the negatives. And I think that's where that fear comes from. There was a survey done by Credible, which is a financial advice website, and they had some questions for millennials and they asked what of the following do millennials find the scariest options include dying, threat of war, not being able to retire, or debt. Debt came on top. We are more scared of debt as a generation than we are of war and of our own death. One of these things is literally going to happen to us. That's not dramatic. I don't know what is. I mean, I think it has its place, but it's just interesting. The reason I was asking is I kind of want to put into place the question of, is it possible for us as a generation, as a society, to view debt as not necessarily an inherently bad thing? To owe money when it's in the sense that it's going to propel you further forward doesn't have to be a bad thing. There is the idea of leverage, right? So leverage, if you aren't too aware, is basically the idea that you're taking a bit of something or a bit of money to maybe make more money. So, so for example, you don't buy an entire house with complete cash. You just put in like a 20% deposit and you pay interest, which is debt. But you pay a mortgage. But on the offset, when the house price increases and your debt comes down, you end up better off and you've only put in a small amount of money to make more money in the long term. And the same concept with student loans. You know, you're putting in a little bit of money to begin with. I mean, if you're an if you're an American, it's obviously a lot more money. And I wouldn't necessarily say student loan debt in America is on the same playing field as interest-free student loans in other countries like New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. But the idea is you do have this big overhead, but it will pay off. And it's okay to live with that. I know millionaires that have 2 or $3 million in debt, but they also have $10 million in assets. And it's it's just part of the process. And I think it's healthy to have a balance rather than just a blanket rule. Same goes for business loans, right? Like you take out a certain amount of money in hopes that the business that you have and own will create a profit greater than what you Exactly. And so I guess we've actually just kind of covered all our examples of good debt. So things like student loans that are interest-free or low interest, things like real estate and business loans, these are all things that, yes, you are taking money from the bank, but you are, quote-unquote, using the bank's money to make more money. There is a definition for good debt that Google came into play, and it's literally money owed for things that will help build wealth. What is bad debt and what examples could we come up with? I think most people are familiar with uh, what bad debt is. Uh, To be brief, debt's with high or variable interest rates and you take that loan or that debt to buy things or pay for expenses that lose value. So the exact opposite of what good debt is. An example of bad debt would be buying a car that you know that you can't afford. 
So you're taking out a $30,000 loan to buy a brand new car that, you know, the services of that car, the parts of that car, gas, insurance, it's all going to be at a high cost compared to buying a used car if you did need one or using public transport for a little while longer until you can afford said car. Because that, you know, with cars, like they just lose value over time. Cars, I feel really passionate about this topic because I just don't, you're laughing, I just don't get it. I do not understand. As long as a car is safe, reliable, I mean, don't buy something that puts your life in danger every time you drive it, aka my car. I'm joking. (laughs) Obviously, don't buy something that is going to put you in danger, but if it is safe, reliable, it's kind of cute. It does the job and you can get it for like seven grand. What's the need to get a car that's 20, 30, 40 grand or a brand new car? Brand new cars depreciate so much in the first year. You literally take it from the dealership, you drive down the road and it's already starting to lose value. It's ridiculous. You just need to assess if you need said car or not. Like, can you bus? You know, that's still going to get you A to B to C even. If you've read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, or for those that haven't, it's a great book. And they basically survey like a lot of millionaires and sort of find their living habits. And like overarching theme is that millionaires actually don't spend a lot of money on bad debt or depreciating assets so things that lose value over time like a car and they spend more money on things that grow their assets like their homes millionaires from the study most of them were not buying brand new cars they were buying secondhand toyotas they were buying reliable hyundais like if hyundais were a thing back then or like the equivalent of you know just reliable decent gets the job done i don't need to show off kind of cars and if that's what millionaires doing i don't know why i need to act like i make more than them. you're the one that recommended me the book and it quickly became one of my favorite finance books it was written in the 90s but i think that concept is still so relevant today you know 20 something years later the whole essence of the book millionaire next door is these people who are financially secure they are wealthy but if you look at where they live the suburbs that they live in the cars that they drive the assets I guess that they have or like branded items that they lack you think they're not you know rich or wealthy Mm -hmm. And the studies show that people who do live in these affluent suburbs and, you know, drive these really expensive cars, they're not wealthy. It's really funny you say that because when they were finding participants for the study, they first obviously like went to all the really wealthy areas, like our equivalent of like Remuera, Newmarket. And we're like, just like, you know, door knocking, like, hey, do you want to be part of our study? And very quickly, they realized the people that lived in those areas with the big flashy cars, the big homes, had very little wealth. So very little assets that growed and a lot of debt. A lot of people that were paying huge mortgages on these big homes, so big that they couldn't even afford to go and do other things. That book was life-changing for me as well. So cars, obviously a really important example of bad debt. Other types of bad debt are, I guess, consumer debt. Now, I know cars do fall into that, but I think cars deserve their own category because they are such a common form of consumer debt. But just general things, 
things that you don't necessarily need to buy on finance, but you might either one find it more convenient to buy on finance, or you might want a more upgraded model and it's just cheaper and easier to do so. I think it is, if we can, important to try our best to live within our means. If you can only spend, or if you've only budgeted $500 for, you know, an important appliance, let's just keep in that budget. It's obviously a lot easier said than done. And we've all been there. Like, this isn't me trying to be on my high horse saying like I've never done this or I've never bought something that was more expensive because of like other external factors but I think it's really important to understand that learning to live within your means is so much more than just one habit you've done today it's something that's going to help you throughout your entire life and it's good to have a bit of discipline and be like yes I deserve maybe the best but I can only afford this other thing. With consumer debt, it's more you're taking out loans for things that you want, not necessarily need. I think a really good way to put it is if it's something that you can't pay in cash, you can't afford it. Obviously, we're not talking about essentials. There are different situations out there. There are some people that are struggling to even pay for their own food for their families like completely different ball game obviously really really horrible to think about but yes in terms of our wants rather than our needs if it is a want and you can't afford to pay for it in cash my personal belief for myself is if I can't pay for it in cash I can't afford it which is really hard to hear because look I really want that Tesla but that is not something I have the cash for right now. I'd rather buy a house. I'll put it off until I'm a lot older. And it's just sort of, I guess, a discipline thing. I think you do need something like that. You you need questions to ask yourself to think before you purchase something or think before you start talking yourself into buying said thing that you might not need or you can't afford. So that's a really good way to put it. You know, if I can't, afford to buy it in cash or some people say if I can't buy this twice I can't afford it oh I like that that's a lot of things I can't afford. <laughs> it's a good debt things like your education your business loans real estate bad debt things like consumer debt buying a car there's one more form of bad debt now I, I don't think this is a universal bad debt but I think it's worth putting in there especially because we are a stock market slash investing platform some podcast is have you heard of people like taking out loans and then putting them into the stock market because the interest rate let's say the interest rate of the loan is like five percent but then the stock market would averagely return nine percent and so they kind of borrow money to make money but through that form have you heard of that i have heard of it i wondered why people do it it's really not advised and Mm. i would just not want to bet anything that severe because on one hand no matter what happens in the stock market even though it has its ups and downs and it should recover over the long period of time you're guaranteed to have that interest rate on your back but the stock market Mm. is not guaranteed to return in a set period of time that you You need to if you can avoid it please don't go into it unless you know what you're doing So we've kind of talked about debt itself. If we are in debt, are there ways that we can pay it off and sort of deal with all that psychological mess that we kind of find ourselves in? There's definitely different types of methods and different budgets and you can work with professionals that will help you pay off your debt if you do have a high amount of 
quote-unquote bad debt, I guess two of the most common, commonly talked about methods is none other than Dave Ramsey's Dave Ramsey coming through again, what he talks about with debt snowball and debt avalanche. Keep it as simple as possible. Starting off with debt snowball, you write out all your debts, whether that be you know your credit card debt, then you've got your personal loan, then you've got a student loan um, or a car loan, and you're ordering it from smallest debt to largest debt. And essentially, it's a snowball effect. So you try pay off the smallest debt first and then work your way down the list. Do you know what? Fun fact, the snowball effect is not just really great for debt. It's also really good for just like any sort of psychological pickle that you find yourself in. Like on days where you have like, you know, like on days you have like a million things to do and you're like, I cannot be bothered doing all these chores all these admin tasks, my work, and you're like, okay, let me just, let me just shower. Let me just begin by showering. Or let me just put my lunchbox away. <laughs> and and it's just like that little motivation. That's the whole idea behind it. And this is what Dave Ramsey talks to as well with debt and the psychological, I guess, factors around it and how we think about it so negatively. It can be tolling and it can be overwhelming. So with the snowball method, the idea is that, hey, look at you, you've paid off this $500 debt. You can keep going. You can keep going and move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And then, whoa, look, you're debt free. It's giving you that satisfaction of paying something small off and giving you the motivation of, you know, let's keep at it. Let's see it straight through. And what's the avalanche method then? Yeah, um, so the avalanche method, instead of ordering your debt in smallest to biggest, it is ordering your debt in highest interest rate to lowest interest rate. It does take a toll on your motivation when you're, if you don't see success for a little while with paying off the high highest interest rate first. And also it takes longer because you're starting off with, I guess, like the biggest interest rate. I mean, no one obviously wants to get into debt and no one has a plan like, hey, yeah, like I am going to rack up lots of consumer debt on my credit card. Like it always starts off as like, let me just grab this one thing. Let me just grab this one thing. And before you know it, your head is in the sand and you are stressed out. And Dave Ramsey is your old white man savior that's like come on dummy let's just do this <laughs> he has a way with words i'll tell you sure it does on the topic of sort of starting off small i think a lot of these sort of after pay slash buy now pay later schemes have been really creeping up as well and i think they're almost like a gateway to consumer debt because they're not really teaching us how to live within our means buy things with cash if we can afford it. They're very much like, oh, you want this instantaneously, but you don't have the saving for it. Buy it today. Pay it off over four, six weeks. And it's really interesting because they market themselves as like this great savvy saving sort of scheme. But as we were talking about earlier, it can actually have quite detrimental effects. It is definitely marketed that way. If you go onto any, I guess, big like online shopping clothing store, you see in sparkling letters, afterpay available or lay-by or whatever the equivalent is. They want you to use that. They want to drive that consumerism, which is why if you can't afford it, they're like, hey, you can use this method instead. 
When you're talking about, I guess, the detrimental effects of afterpay, can you go through what a few look like that people might not know of? Yeah, of course. I think the one that really stands out to me, and this one, every time I bring it up, the reaction is the same. Mm -hmm. It's, oh my God, I had no idea. Afterpay, oxypay, lay-by, all these buy-now, pay-later schemes, they can affect your ability Mm -hmm. to buy a house in the future. That is a huge, a huge effect from such a small action because I know people that will use these platforms not because they can't afford it, it's just easier. It's just nicer to have $100 sitting in your account paid off over the time rather than all going at once. Like it's a very psychological thing. By doing that, banks, when they look at approving your home loan, they will ask for three months worth of statements and they will analyze everything you have bought, everything you have earned, and they're going to see afterpay and they're going to almost, if not quite likely, treat it like a form of consumer debt because you are showing them that you cannot, in their eyes, pay for something in full and that can come across as if you're more likely to be a risky person to give a loan to. Mm. And that might be the difference between you getting an approval to buy a house or not. It's so Mm. crappy, in my opinion, how much of an effect something can have when it's not branded to be bad in any shape more that you know right like i don't expect websites to have massive disclaimers the thing with afterpay is it's i would say do you agree it's kind of targeted more towards women 100 percent. the co-founder of afterpay and i'm pretty sure the other co-founder as well is just this young man like they're not even women behind these companies we're not helping anyone i just think of like princess polly and asos and stuff just- like that are targeted towards women and I see afterpay it's like in buttons like with stars and gloss and like sparkles around it like use this thing to get this handbag this top and I'm like no don't trick my good people don't trick me I'm better than that I promise what are the other effects of it like there is the three months thing is there anything else I would say this is more like a wishy-washy behavioral sort of thing but I would say that the more we use these I mean we're just straying further away from the good habits that we can build about living within our means saving for things that we want paying them with cash holding off buying purchases until we're 100% sure we need them and almost just being more sustainable it's obviously not a direct effect on your money but I would argue that it's a long-term habit that you're going to have to end up potentially having to rebuild. I think with consumerism, obviously we're talking about the financial impacts being the type of podcast that we are, but there are deeper effects of consumerism, environmental, social, that people don't really talk about as well. So these habits that you talk about that are habits that we want to build discipline on, as you just went through, they'll have positive impacts on, on other areas of the world as well, not just not just your coin. 100%. So in saying that, I guess in this podcast, we kind of wanted to cover, you know, not just what debt was and the good debt and the bad debt out there, because in all honesty... You could just Google these things. But I think we really just wanted to have a conversation about maybe challenging why we view debt a certain way and 
if it really is just necessarily a blanket overriding bad thing or if maybe there is some good reason to be okay with a little bit of debt when it is there to help you build your wealth because at the end of the day it's only future you that's going to be affected by this right okay so to wrap up i will just finish with our disclaimer great chat sonia all right you just reversed me guys i said that first (laughs) Girls That Invest does not provide personalised investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Please use your due diligence. I think that's us. I think that is us. Till next time, sis. See you Tuesday.